This is the Sports Sit-Down with Mike Demerges. I was coaching up in Montreal with the Montreal Concords, and uh, Walt Michael got the job at the uh, New Jersey Generals, and I knew Dan Sikanovich, and, you know, I coached at Connecticut and got to meet Dan. Uh, he was friendly with the uh, guys at UConn, and uh, he called Walt on my behalf, and uh, I went down to uh, New Jersey as the uh, receiver coach the first year, and uh, it was an exciting year. We had uh, a new owner in Donald Trump, um, and we had some good players. You know, we just signed Brian Side. We had Herschel Walker, Maurice Carthon, you know, Kent Hull, a great offensive lineman that played many years with the Buffalo Bills. Um, and defensively, we had uh, some veteran players on that side. You know, Jerry Holmes was at corner. Barber was at uh, – Barbaro was at uh, safety. Had some linebackers. Jim LeClaire, right? Jim, Jim yeah, LeClaire. LeClaire. Yeah, Bobby Leopold. It, but Bobby Leopold, San Francisco guy. So – we really had a good football team and having been, uh, you know, a giant fan all my life and my dad taking us to Fairfield over uh, the university of uh, Fairfield university to see the giants practice during the summer, the uh, USFL came in at an ideal time. Uh, you know, the jets were going strong. The giants were going strong. And at that time in, in the mid eighties, all the blue bloods had giants tickets and, all the young people uh, in between in their late 30s, early 40s had the jet tickets. And then there was a group that uh, we had 38,000 season ticket holders that were, you know, young people in their uh, early 20s, late 20s. And there were a lot of fights in the stands, but uh, they were indulging in a lot of uh, beverages. But uh, it was really an exciting time for football. And I remember Walt Michaels telling me that, you know, after the first year, there was like $17 million bet on the USFL. He says, Chris, if we get the $35 million uh, being bet on the USFL, the league will survive. And uh, I said, you know, that's an indication of interest and stuff like that. And there were some really, really good football teams uh, in the USFL. There were 187 players that went on to play in the NFL. And it was a, a place where people got a chance to develop. You know, Maurice Carthon was a wing back and, uh, um, in college at Arkansas State, and we moved him to fullback. He went on and became an excellent fullback for the New York Giants. Uh, we had a bunch of players. You look at the quarterbacks that played in that, that league, Bobby A. Bear, you know, Kelly, Flutie, uh, Steve Young. You talk about a, a league that had quarterbacks. Uh, many of them went on to play in the, in the NFL. So it was, for fans, it was exciting. They were different teams. Uh, it was, you could get to tickets and go to a game. And they were, uh, you know, they, they were true fans from uh, every sense. And, and, and I could speak to that because I was one of the 42,000 fans that used to go to the Generals games in 84. That team based on the ground game under Walt Michaels, uh, defense, and, and Brian's sight. And, and that was 
in the second year, they started to bring a lot more veterans over and the big name players were kind of at the end of their career in the NFL. And they wanted that one more big paycheck. Talk about when the generals brought Brian Sipe over, what it was like working with a veteran like him. Well, Brian was a, a true professional and, you know, had a great career in Cleveland and, you know, he, he, he was at the twilight of his career. He was on the back nine, but he came in and it gave credibility to the team. Uh, I remember one day Brian standing up in, in a meeting on a Monday after a game and he let it, he threw a pass and one of our receivers got hit pretty, pretty bad on the play. And he stood up right in the meeting and apologized to the receiver, you know, he says, Hey, that was a hospital shot. I threw there. I'll never do that to you again. So there was, he was a true professional and he knew himself. Uh, you know, he had tremendous anticipation, you know, he wasn't going to drive the ball down the field, uh, on a rope for, you know, 40 yards, he would take and lay it up and throw to a spot. And, uh, we were successful, uh, with him as our quarterback, but, uh, you know, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I was getting uh, ready to go out to see Randall Cunningham out at Vegas. Uh, he was a punter and a quarterback, and we were interested in, in getting Randall as our quarterback. But Donald came in and said, hey, I want Flutie. He's a Heisman Trophy winner, played Boston College. We have a lot of Boston College fans here in the uh, metropolitan area. So <laughs> my trip to uh, uh, the Vegas was canceled, and we wound up signing Flutie. And then we, we started to go to camp with Flutie and uh, Sipe, and we traded Sipe to uh, Jacksonville just before the season. Let, let's talk still say in 1984 before we moved to 85. Uh, your team, that general team, did something pretty incredible. You had two backs that rushed for 1,000 yards. Maurice Carthon was known as a blocker that brought toughness to the Giants in the 1980s and really propelled that off right. offense to make it a basher. But you had Flutie, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Walker and Carthon, both 1,000-yard rushers that year. Yeah, we – we had two excellent backs and, uh, you know, everybody was keying on, on Herschel and Herschel was a, was a great player. One of the funny things about that season, you know, you go through the season and it's, it, you, you blink and it's over. And, uh, you know, I said to my wife, I said, no, Herschel's a good player, but I don't know how really good he is because, you know, Carthon got a thousand and I think Herschel had 1800 or something like that. And uh, we, we took our break. We went on vacation after the season. And we came back. We started doing our off-season work. And I came home uh, after a week or so, and I said to my wife, the reason we still have our job is because of Herschel Walker. I mean, he could do anything. He could be a, you know, he could catch passes. He could, could run. Um, one day we were playing Philadelphia, and uh, Philadelphia took the ball, and went down the field and took about seven minutes off the, the clock. And then we got the ball. They kicked it out of the end zone. And we ran a toss to Herschel. And he went 80 yards for a score. Then Philadelphia came back on. So we only had one play in the first quarter. And, uh, but Herschel, anytime he touched the ball, whether it was on a pass or whether it was on a run, uh, he could take it the distance. And uh, excellent player. And... You know, with people keying him, you know, we had plays for Maurice, and Maurice was a good runner, um, but, you know, he accepted his role. He accepted his role that he was going to be a blocker. And then 
I'll give you a story about Maurice. He had a chance to go to, to Dallas after the, the league folded. And uh, he called me, he said, you know, uh, my college coach is at Dallas and he wants me to come down there. And there's about $25,000 difference in, in the salary. I said, Maurice, uh, you know, the signing bonus, signing bonus was $25,000 more. I said, Maurice, the Giants and, uh, you know, the New Jersey Generals have the same terminology. I said, you know, Chuck Fairbanks, who was the coach before Walt Michaels, had the New England Patriots playbook from when he was at uh, New England. So our terminology was, was very similar. And I said, you know, this will give you a chance to go in and at least know the system. And it'll be easier for you. And to Maurice's credit, he decided to stay in New York and uh, he went on and had a great career. But here's a guy giving up $25,000 at that time was a lot of money, but uh, it all worked out for him. And it worked out for a lot of players in the uh, USFL. Now tell me if this is true or not, that when Donald Trump found out that Maurice was going to go to the Giants, he basically said, got the message to you that you would be fired if Maurice Carthon uh, kept getting the ball and scored touchdowns because his, his his numbers dropped significantly in 85 when Herschel had that incredible set the rushing record, all-time rushing record. Uh, yeah, that a lot of that story is true, you know. So uh, Donald wanted stars and Herschel was a star. And, uh, you know, he wanted to, you know, Flutie and, uh, and Herschel Walker were the two guys that uh, – we're going to be the face of the organization and uh you know uh it all worked out for everybody let's put it that way and i heard rumors from bob lee when i interviewed him years ago for my usfl book um usfl the rebel league the nfl uh didn't respect feared but didn't respect um he used to call up this this the studio at espn and say why isn't my team on there i'm the one keeping this league afloat so <laughs> What we see Donald today, he was doing back in the 1980s. There's a lot of similarities. I'll put it that way. And and talk about the the 84 team went 14 and four, uh, and then those damn Philadelphia Stars. And I and I and I when I interviewed Irv Eatman about him, like, what was it about your team that you had the Generals number? You should drive me crazy. They had it during the playoffs. I mean, uh, we would go toe to toe with them during the season, and then. Uh, in the playoffs, they knocked us out. But, uh, you know, it was a great rivalry. You know, it was right up the road. And, uh, you know, you take Philadelphia, you take the Generals, take Tampa Bay, you know. Michigan. You know, there were Mich Michigan, they were good. Oakland was good out there. You know, there were four or five teams that definitely could have, you know, made it in the NFL. There were the caliber of players that were available. And, you know, I, I'll go to my grade believing that if we had just held on for another year or two, uh, there would have been a merger. And talk a little about uh, going against Sam Mills. Of course, he, he's the, the poster child in a lot of ways for the, what the USFL was. A guy that was considered too small, wasn't big enough, NFL uh, cut him, and then, uh, then Jim Moore gave him a chance, thanks to Carl Peterson, uh, gave him a chance to, uh, to, to play 
in the USFL, and that showed him that Jim Moore brought him to the NFL. But Jim Moore even had doubts that he, if he was too small. Now, you know, talk about Sam Mills. What, what made him so tough? What made him so great? He had tremendous instincts, you know, pound for, you know, he was obviously a small player, but, you know, he got cut in Canada also. You know, not only did he get cut from the NFL, but then he also got cut from uh, the CFL. He went to the USFL and played extremely well. And then, you know, went to New Orleans uh, with Jim Mora and played in the NFL uh, at a high level. So it just gave those guys a chance, you know, uh, to play in a league. And, you know, once they got on film, people will say, oh, wait a minute, these, these guys are pretty good. You know, you take a look at Ken Hall, uh, our center. You know, he played up in Buffalo, but really he was too small. He hadn't developed yet, you know, coming out of Mississippi State. And he put on a couple more pounds uh, for the two years he was in the USFL and went up and played in Buffalo and was very, very successful. A guy like that would never have made it to camp. Uh, the way it was set up at that time. And not only developing, but true Hall of Famers came into the USFL. Uh, one other guy, Reggie White. Talk about what made Reggie White so great. Besides the obvious that people like <laughs> the fans know, from an offensive perspective, what trying to stop him on the defensive side. Well, he was an outstanding player. And one of the things that we always tried to do was we let him know on the within the first three plays of the game that we were going to be cutting him. And so on a run play, we'd have a double team and we would cut him. Uh, you know, we, we were going to let him know that we were going to play a lot of time around his legs. And uh, that was, uh, it slowed him down a little bit, but he was an excellent player. And uh, I remember Ken Hull coming to the sideline one time and say, hey, we should have checked out of that play. I can't block Reggie White. I said, yeah, we should have checked out of that. So, uh, you know, there was a guy, Ken Hall, and a, you know, an outstanding player uh, going against another outstanding player just gave you the idea of the caliber of player in the league. So 1984, uh, you guys lose to the Stars in the playoffs. And then I remember interviewing Walt Michaels. He said he wanted to get uh, bring Boomer Esiason in. Uh, initially, but but Trump said he wanted Flutie, as you said, and also you were looking at Randall Cunningham. Talk about that, tr that transition. I, I see it clear to this day. Uh, Howard Cosell, ABC Sports, the breaking news, Doug Flutie, uh, to the man that was going to save the USFL. Talk about that time in 85. Well, that was, uh, you know, you had Walt Michaels who, you know, came up under Paul Brown and there was a formula for success in building a team. And, you know, he did that with the Jets, uh, the type of players that he was looking for. You know, he had Clark Gaines that I think caught 15 passes in a game coming out of the backfield. He had Harper, another uh, outstanding uh, running back that was involved in the, in the passing game. And we were going to run the ball. We had Herschel, we had Maurice. We were going to be pretty solid there. But – it was obvious that Brian was at the twilight of his career and, uh, you know, he bent over one day to pick up a pair of socks and he twisted his knee and had to have an operation, you know? So, uh, old age doesn't come alone. There's some things that come with it. And, uh, so Walt, you know, 
had expressed to Donald that, you know, we needed a quarterback and, you know, he wanted to go the veteran route because, you know, you can win quicker that way. And uh, Donald wanted to go with Flutie. And, you know, when you own the team, normally you get your, your saying deals. And uh, we took Doug. Uh, Doug was a smart player and, uh, you know, came from Boston College, which I knew a lot of the coaches on the staff up there. And, uh, you know, we, we never, Walt said to me, now look, we don't want to run any bootlegs with, with Flutie until the second half. Let the defense get a little tired before we start running bootlegs. And, you know, uh, Doug was, you know, he, he could throw the ball. He was, he had a golden horseshoe. And uh, I remember after the league folded, uh, Mike Ditka called and I'm sure I was on speakerphone. I'm not sh- saying I know it for a fact, but I thought I was on speakerphone and I was telling him about Doug and his, you know, what he can do as a uh, NFL quarterback. And uh, Doug never got a chance. And he goes up to uh, Canada and then comes back and gets a chance in the NFL. And, uh, you know, you look at, you know, quarterback in Arizona and you look at the quarterback at uh, uh, Seattle, they were Doug Flutie size, you know, and uh, uh, the unfortunate thing, uh, Doug was, you know, way before it was acceptable to have a quarterback his side, but Doug went on and played in the league and had a great career, uh, you know, San Diego and, and uh, Buffalo. And uh, again, another player from the league, from the USFL that played in the NFL. You know, talk about Flutie and just having that Flutie magic. I remember a play against the LA Express at the Meadowlands where he was running left, running right. It was like Bugs Buddy, Roadrunner. And he found, I, I don't remember the, the receiver who it was at the end zone. I'm sure it was Sam Bowers or whoever it was. Uh, and, and you won the game in the LA Express. That was Doug Flutie. He made things up that were literally miraculous. No question. And the point is, you know, and Walt had a great point. You know, he wanted to wait until later in the game when the defense was tired. And, you know, you're not used to chasing a guy like Flutie uh, for four quarters. And I think those quick, you know, dart-like guys that have speed to get around like that uh, definitely have a, uh, a value in the league today. Uh, do you remember the feeling week 15 when Reggie White uh, broke his collarbone? Uh, yes. And that pretty much cemented yeah. the season for you guys. Right. It was not a dirty play. It was just he fell on him. And, uh, you know, you know, Doug was was not a big man. He, you know, he, he was uh, he was what he was and he was exciting. And uh, he just Reggie fell on him and, and broke the collarbone. And, uh, you know, we hung in there. We had the playoff game was at home. And yeah. I, I was at that game too. And Herschel <laughs> yeah. jumped over the top, landed right on top of his head. Yeah. Man, the fans were going nuts that night. There right. weren't as many fans, but the, let me tell you something. The stadium was rocking that night with, I believe it was like 25,000 fans in there. Right. You know what, what? I'll tell you this, Mike, the first time I, you know, first we're done, we trained down in central Florida and uh, we uh, went over to play in Birmingham and, uh, you know, they announced 65,000 or something like that. And I, I said to somebody, I don't know if there was 65,000 there or not, but there sure were a lot of people. And, you know, it was catching on. And, uh, 
you know, there was, there was a great following and you say to yourself, why can't these other, you know, leagues that try to do it in the spring be as successful as the USFL? And, uh, you know, there, you look at the quarterbacks that were developed, you know, there still needs to be a league to develop quarterbacks even today. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. So, uh, 1985, would you remember where you were when you realized, Hey, boys, we're not coming back. Uh, what was the overall feeling that you make plans to go to the NFL, not, not to wait the, for the final decision in the lawsuit? Uh, well, what had happened was there was a merger between Houston and, uh, oh, the general, by the way, I want you to see this, uh, Chris, yeah. you see this right here? <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I have I'm the saying, picture of Jim Kelly. They got Kelly, they got yep. Kelly and they got Flutie. I said, yeah, they, they got they got a pretty good uh, quarterbacks to start with right now, <clears throat> and you know they brought uh, they let Walt Michaels go and they brought Jack Pardee in, and uh, you know so we were we were out of work and but you worked for Pardee years later on in the NFL later on yeah later on I worked for Jack in in Houston. And, you know, Jack was a laid back guy. He, he's a fine individual and uh, passed away and <clears throat> one of the true, true great guys in, in pro football. But they merged and uh, we were let go. So uh, we were looking for jobs. But at that time, there really weren't any jobs because colleges were filled, the NFL were filled. So we kind of just you know, went through the fall and, uh, you know, guys started to look for jobs in the NFL. And uh, I was at a point in my career that I thought I needed to be a head coach. So I took a uh, job at the University of New Haven as the head football coach and spent two years there and then two years at Boston U and then came back to the NFL with Jack Pardee in Houston. So, uh, you know, Donald paid, paid all of us our, what our contracts were due. Um, you know, I was disappointed when, when the league folded because I thought it, it was a good opportunity for the players and it was a good opportunity uh, for guys to coach. Can you verify this, that there is some truth to, to that, um, that Trump was actually wooing Lawrence Taylor uh, to come play for the generals and he signed a futures contract. I've heard that story, but I, I have not seen any proof to that, but uh, that story was floating around. And what about Mark Gaston? There was some truth behind some, some rumor behind. I did that not well. know that one. I did okay. not know that one. So, uh, and of course he will, he was also looking at bringing Don Shula in before he, he brought Walt, Walt Michaels in as well. So Trump was thinking yeah. big back then. Yeah. I mean, if you know, Donald, you're not going to be second fiddle. I mean, there's, you know, he wants to make a splash. And uh, I'll tell you one funny story. He called me one night. We were playing Jacksonville. And he said, Chris, this is Donald. I said, Donald, how are you doing? Good. And uh, he said, tomorrow night, I'm going to have Mike Wallace with me. I said, oh, great. He said, I want uh, Doug to throw for 400 yards. And I want Herschel to run for 200. I said, Donald, you know, Jacksonville's not bad now. They're, they're pretty good. He said, Chris, I want to look good. I said, Donald, 
you pay Herschel and Doug a lot more money than you pay me. I said, you better call them and tell them that. He says, Chris, I don't think that's very funny. So, uh, uh, you know, he, he wanted to, you know, he wanted to have a flash. He wanted to be, uh, you know, he wanted people to, you know, see what kind of team he had. I mean, I remember when we put in the spread formation, we called it the tower uh, in honor of Donald and the fans went, I don't know if you were in the stands or not, but we had linemen one place and the center was eligible and we had people running all over and with Flutie, that was, you know, something he could do. And uh, Donald after the game was so excited about that play. We got any more formations like that? I said, no, not just yet, Donald, but we'll, we'll work on it. So, you know, one thing about the USFL games, uh, I never felt like it was a minor league uh, situation. ESPN, it was their, their first foray into, into play-by-play. There were exciting, exciting games during the week. There was, you know, the Saturday night game, which I thought was, was, was great. Um, talk about when Herschel Walker broke the, the rushing record against the Bulls at home. That had to be exciting for you. Very exciting. Well, you talk about the announcers. Everybody talks about Charlie Steiner as being, you know, a baseball guy. Started with did, the generals. That's right. He did an excellent job as a, you know, guy uh, doing football. And, uh, you know, when Hersher broke that, you know, as a coach, you really don't get caught up in the numbers. But when everything settles down, you say, wow, that was amazing. And uh, Herschel, I mean, He'd come out to practice and he'd have these thermal underwear on and he'd weigh out at 225. He'd come out, he'd work, he'd run, he'd sweat. He'd come back in after practice, 225. I mean, he was just a rare, rare human being. And, and Herschel Walker, of course, you look at the impact the USFL had on the NFL, the two-point conversion, test markets in certain cities uh instant replay but if the usfl didn't exist the history of the nfl would be different the buffalo bills wouldn't be who they were with jim kelly hall uh, marv levy scott norwood and certainly the cowboys the trade that made them was it was the herschel walker trade where they got all those draft picks that the minnesota vikings with anthony carter chris millard the giants with landetta godfrey um uh, the, the center Bart Oates and, and Carthon, the history of the league would be so different without these players. So people, people don't realize that. No, because I'm not sure those players with, you know, some of them definitely would have made it, made it in the NFL, but of the 187 that made it in the NFL, I'm sure half of them would not have even gotten the chance because they didn't have the development of the uh, USFL. No, absolutely. So talk about Herschel, why, why didn't he attain the success he had in the USFL in the NFL? I know there was a lot of talk when he went to Minnesota, not running him in the eye, doing him a split back situation. Can you give some insight into that being, being a former uh, offensive well, coach? Yeah. You know, you brought up before about Herschel and, and Maurice. Well, we were in a situation where we went to some split backs uh, so that we could get Herschel and Maurice the ball. Well, probably after the second game, Herschel wasn't comfortable. You know, he's, he's not a guy that likes to come across the formation. He's more of a downhill guy. And 
we put him back in the eye and it was a different player. Uh, I remember him coming in one day and saying to me, I understand you're upset with me about my running style. So Hersh, I'm not upset with you. I said, you, you're seeing the reads and stuff like that. I said, but what I'm, ups what I'm upset about, I'm upset about my, with myself because I think you're more of a down the hill guy where it puts you in the eye and give you a chance to read like you did at Georgia and what you did the first year here. And uh, he said, yeah, maybe that's it. Well, he goes out and gets 238 yards of the next game. So I said, well, I guess we found out what the problem was. It wasn't you, it was the formation. So he went on and had a great year. And, uh, you know, there's some backs that are, you know, some backs like guys in front of them. Some like to move the fullback so they get a better read on it. Uh, you know, I think Curtis Martin was one of those guys. He, he liked to be in the eye and he, he didn't like anybody slowing him down or, or blurring his vision. And I think the same thing was true with Herschel. As you, as you look back at the league and you look at the opportunities that players got, you know, we mentioned Sam Mills and talk, talk about the coaches that came from the league. It's, it's an incredible list of coaches that coached in the, in the, in the NFL that went on from the USFL. Well, you had Steve Spurrier, you know, who went up and after that coached at Duke and did very, very well at Duke. You had Jim Mora, you know, did well there. You had Marv Levy, uh, you know, I don't know remember if you remember the game out in Chicago. That's the coldest I ever was, a Memorial Day weekend. And that, it, it was, I think there were 14 people in the stands and it was freezing there. And, uh, you know, Marv and uh, Bill Polian, who, uh, teamed up together in, in Buffalo, did an outstanding job. You know, there were, were good coaches throughout the uh, Lee Corso, who was in Orlando. Uh, you know, you had Steve, yeah, Steve Mariucci, Jim Fossil. Oh, yeah. A lot of guys, a lot of assistant coaches, uh, you know, that went on and were successful. And, uh, you know, USFL guys. And, uh, you know, it just, uh, it was an opportunity not only for the for the players, but it was an opportunity for the coaches also. And the generals were first class organization. Many former players have testified to that. Then there were teams like it was a little bit crazy, like the San Antonio Gunslingers per se. Um, they talk about going to some of the uh, the smaller venued uh, places in the in the USFL that you were. Did you think yeah, what, what the hell's did. going on here? Well. Somehow we never played them, San Antonio. And, uh, you know, every league is different. You know, I'm sure that, you know, you got the New Yorks, you got Dallas, you know, you got all the larger markets. And then, you know, you had Green Bay, you know, you had, had Cincinnati in the NFL. Well, the same thing is true in the USFL. We had, you know, the larger markets that, you know, where there were certain things that had to be done. And then you had the smaller markets where you just didn't have the, you know, you didn't have, you know, luxury boxes and things like that to, to uh, you know, sell and make money on. So, uh, you know, I, I think it was, was tough for a couple of the teams, but a majority of them were in pretty good shape. <laughs>